the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. First, effective prayer requires knowledge. And then second, effective prayer requires faithfulness. And then third, effective prayer requires participation. So what Jesus is saying here is that prayer gets things done. Welcome once again to Study Verse by Verse, an outreach ministry of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno on the web at highlands.us. And Pastor Leighton Sheely is the senior pastor, and he's continuing his study in the book of Matthew. We'll move in to the seventh chapter in just a moment. I'm Mike Trout, and this is a daily visit, Monday through Friday, from Church of the Highlands, supported in part by your generosity. If you'd like to join with us in that way, you can give safely on that website, highlands.us. I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. If you want to know Jesus more, the place to do that is in the Gospels. There are four of them. Uh, Two were written by apostles, two were written by associates of the apostles. So these are first-hand reports of what Jesus said and did. And that's important because everything about Christianity revolves around Jesus Christ. And so we want to know him more, we want to know more about him, and that's why we've chosen to study the Gospel of Matthew. Now in our study of the Gospel of Matthew, we've arrived at the Sermon on the Mount covered in chapters 5 through 7. And this created a a bit of a dilemma for me because we covered this portion of Scripture in greater detail uh, last year. Uh, It didn't seem appropriate for us to repeat it, but it also didn't seem appropriate for us to pass over this portion. Uh, One of the values that we have is studying the Word of God and Scripture in its context. And the reason for this is that Scripture taken out of context can be twisted to suggest a meaning that was never intended by the author. Cults take scripture out of context to promote the heresies that they teach. And then also there are some among us who are new to the church. Others may have missed the Sermon on the Mount. So our our solution then is to read through the Sermon on the Mount with light commentary that's been excerpted from our sermon series that was done last year. And that, if you're interested in getting to greater detail, that sermon series is available online at highlands.us. Now, Matthew presents Jesus as king, and scholars have called the Sermon on the Mount the manifesto of the king, King Jesus. And so we want to know from the Bible what this kingdom is all about. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, describes his kingdom. Chapter 7, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs or swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Judge not, that you be not judged, is is probably one of the most often misapplied texts 
from the Bible. The people apply it as though it was some kind of a, uh, a flat command against any and all judgment. And it often comes up when Christians say that something is right or wrong based on Scripture, and you'll hear others say, well, who are you to judge? What gives you that right? And Jesus here is not speaking about dismissing all judgment because the pigs and dogs referenced in verse 6 are not pigs and dogs. He's talking about godless people. And Jesus says we have to discern pigs and dogs so we don't give them what is holy and valuable. And in order to do that, we must exercise some type or degree of judgment, some kind of discernment. So then, what is Jesus saying here? Well, in chapter 6, Jesus has mentioned a number of things that can distract a disciple from spiritual things, the love of money and worry and so forth. But now Jesus addresses someone who's gone to the opposite extreme here, somebody who's become overly zealous about religious and spiritual matters and have become judgmental of others while ignoring their own faults. There's an old saying. It says, with friends like this, who needs enemies? And the point of the saying is that somebody might call themselves or even consider themselves a friend, but their behavior causes so much damage they might as well be enemies. And there are people in the Christian church who are so critical in condemning a fellow church people and leadership that they do as much or more damage as the enemies of the church. So followers of Christ should be discerning and yet not be critical and condemning in their attitude towards others. Jesus commands his disciples, to not be judgmental. And there are many great reasons why we should not be judgmental. For one thing, we don't really know the entire story of why that person does what they do. Hillel, a famous rabbi, said, Do not judge a man until you yourself have come into his circumstances or situation. A modernized version of this is don't judge somebody until you've walked in their shoes. See, a person who's been raised, say, for instance, in a good and Christian home doesn't really understand a person who's been raised in other circumstances. And rather than condemning them, we might actually be overwhelmed and amazed that they've succeeded in becoming as good as they have. So we never really know the whole story of what makes a person do and say the things they do. But it's also impossible for us as humans to be impartial in our judgment. We're always affected and influenced by instinct and biased perceptions. Uh, It has been said that the Greeks, when they held a particularly difficult and important trial, would hold that trial in the dark so that the judge and jury could not see the person who was on trial. And that way they wouldn't be influenced by their perceptions. They would simply make their decision based on the facts of the case. Only a person who is completely impartial can really judge rightly. And it's not in human nature to be impartial in our judgments. Only God is impartial. And then Jesus said that another reason is that we we shouldn't judge someone else is because no person is good enough to judge someone else. And he describes that in this rather vivid and humorous picture he paints about a person with a plank in their eye trying to extract a splinter in someone else's eye. Now the words that Jesus used here imply that the splinter is made of the exact same material as the plank. And when sins are that people struggle with themselves are the ones that they most readily see or think they see in others. 
So if you're around a person who seems to be particularly alert to perceived sin issues in others, things like lust and lying and theft and so forth, you can be sure that those are the issues that they themselves are wrestling with. You see, it would do us well to concentrate on our own faults and leave the faults of others to God. The Apostle Paul wrote, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Romans chapter 14. Well, perhaps the inspiration for Paul's writing came from this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? These verses 7 through 11 are an excellent introduction to the golden rule in verse 12. Because the golden rule calls for us to have a generosity that's far above mere mortal capacity. And in this passage, the author is describing the incredible generosity of God. And it's God himself who sets our example. We need to be generous to others because God has been generous to us. Now, the focus of this passage is on prayer. And God will always answer our prayer, but not always in the way we think he should. For instance, he will not give us something that can harm us. Now, we might pray something like, Lord, help me win the lottery so I can help others. And we might even be sincere in that prayer. But God might choose not to let us win the lottery because he knows that it wouldn't be good for us. Human parents would never give a stone or a snake to their children. God is good. Thank God he answers prayer. And thank God he doesn't always give us what we ask for. Now the purpose of prayer is not to bring God's will into alignment with ours but to bring our will into alignment with his. Ask, seek, knock. These are in an ascending progressive order. First effective prayer requires knowledge. And to know what that is, we need to ask what God's will is. And we receive this from his word and his Holy Spirit. And then second effective prayer requires faithfulness. We need to not only know God's will, we need to want God's will. We need to seek God's will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then third, effective prayer requires participation in seeing that God's will is done. We need to knock. And even though the word door is not in the original text, the imagery is of a closed door. And all of us understand that there are doors that are sometimes closed and shut tight and require a great deal of prayer to open. So what Jesus is saying here is that prayer gets things done. And the tense of the word in the original language means that Jesus is asking us to go on asking, go on seeking, go on knocking, to keep on, to continue asking, seeking, 
and knocking. And he's not suggesting here that we engage in vain repetitions because he's already addressed that earlier in this sermon. But Jesus here says that we are to persist in prayer. And so now we come to the golden rule. God is generous and good with us, and he's our example. We need to be good and generous with others. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. The word so, or therefore, as it's translated in the King James Version, marks this as a conclusion to what has proceeded. So in essence, Jesus is saying what God is doing for us, he wants us to do for others. You've been listening to the teaching of Pastor Leighton Sheely, the senior pastor at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. And he's in the book of Matthew, and we'll continue there tomorrow. I hope you can join us at this same time. More details about the church are always available on the website, highlands.us. That's highlands.us, and we're a nonprofit outreach. Depending upon your prayer support and your financial support, if you'd like to see this ministry continue here on this station, please go to the website and click on the donate link. And thanks in advance for your generosity. I'm Mike Trout. Have a blessed rest of your day. And join us tomorrow when we'll once again open the Word of God and study verse by verse.